again from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north. This is Safety Wars for Friday, January 26th. How's everybody doing out there tonight? You're in for a treat tonight. Oh yeah. Last Friday, we had uh, we did a replay of, I believe it was a January 19th, 2023 uh, show. And it was audio only because we weren't doing video or what we're doing now on all the video platforms out here. And so we're doing the show over again, but we have a lot more information today. What are we talking about? The Rust Movie Productions Accident with Alec Baldwin. Yes, we have a lot of information out there on this. And we're going to do a brief uh, introduction. Then we'll get right into it. If we happen to run over an hour, uh, we'll do our uh, end of program stuff on the Safety FM network. And then we'll continue on all the other streaming platforms, uh, mostly video platforms. Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share since we are not directly involved with these stories at least not most of the time enjoy the show this this, this show is brought to you by safety fm okay and welcome back we are and you're gonna say well why are we doing this again why is this important why do we need to know about this again with Alec Baldwin and everything else going on out there. There's a lot of reasons why we need to go over this. All right. May and let me make sure we're in here and we're streaming and everything else. Yep, we are. Okay. A lot of reasons why. We're gonna pull up, I put together a little uh, PowerPoint presentation here to get us going. So there are a couple of things, some background here. This all happened on October 22nd, 2021. These are some of the facts in the case. A gun was discharged on set. And by the way, I'm going to point out that everybody's innocent until proven guilty in this situation. This is being litigated and will likely be litigated for a long, long, long time here. Helena Hutchison... The Russ cinematographer was killed. Rest in peace. Joel Souza, the Russ director, was injured. Alec Baldwin was an actor and a producer, and he also allegedly held the gun. All right? I think that's in the news. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed was the armorer, but also one of the prop persons. David Halls was the first assistant director. He plea bargained. We'll get to that in a minute. So, why is any of this important to safety people out there? You're going to say, why? <laughs> so what? You're going over this again. 
because it's extremely important here for the following reasons. Now, you're a safety professional. An armorer is a safety professional on here, on this stuff. In effect, the safety professional. The first director, this other guy here, right, the plea bargain, some of the stuff that I read is my tradition. That is also a safety professional, right? He pleaded and uh, pleaded guilty. Some stuff, we'll get to that in a minute. But if you've ever been on a job, you're in an employer, a construction job, doesn't matter as a safety professional. Have you ever had both safety and production duties and been told to concentrate on production? Been told safety is exclusively the safety department's responsibility and no one else's? Not been given the budget to do your job? Been bullied by production people? Had the equipment you were responsible for been used by someone else? Maybe improperly? I don't know. Been relieved of safety duties because someone else will handle that, handle it that is less strict? Have you ever been ignored by production? Had a supervisor allegedly not back you up and let bad safety stuff happen in front of them? Been under a time crunch? Been told to ignore near misses? Accidents, leading indicators, anything like that? Been told not to do safety meetings? Are there no OSHA standards for what you do? Therefore, you are told... Don't, you don't have to do anything, and don't worry about it. If you answer yes to any of those, then this is the episode for you. This is made for you. All right? Any of those things. So let's go on over. Some other information here. That, now, why, the other reason, why are we doing this? No, Jim, why are you doing this? Why is this important to you? All right? There's a lot to be learned from this stuff. An awful lot, unfortunately. All right. Some background here. You have what is called the General Duty Clause under OSHA. This is right out of the Occupational Safety and Health Act, right, of 1970. Each employer, one, shall furnish to each of his employees hold on I want to get the right view here to uh, shall furnish to each of his employees employment and a place of employment which are free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm to his employees two shall comply with occupational safety and health standards promulgated under this act. Right? Now, everyone stops with that in any of your outreach training courses. Now let's go to B. Each employee shall comply with occupational safety and health standards and all rules, regulations, and orders issued pursuant to this act, which are applicable to his own actions and conduct. Now, there is a mechanism in place for paragraph A, right, for the employer, but there is no mechanism in place for number two. How does that get enforced? Usually through, uh, usually through uh, human resources or something like that. 
All right. Now to prove now uh, that's for and now where does that come into place when there is no OSHA standard with that, but there is an industry standard for that, for whatever that is, for whatever you're dealing with. But to make that stick for an OSHA citation, you have uh, OSHA has to prove four things. One. The employer failed to keep the workplace free from free of a hazard to which employees of that employer were exposed. Number one. Number two, the hazard was recognized. Number three, the hazard was causing or was likely to cause death or serious physical harm. And four, there was a feasible and useful method to correct the hazard. This is all from a letter of interpretation from December 18, 2003 on the OSHA website. So they got to prove the four things for a general duty clause thing. Now, each state can go and take over OSHA's duties in this state up to a certain point. So for New Mexico, where this happened, it has a state plan. All right. So and they were approved in December 10, 1975. The state plan was certified November 5th, 1984. And the operational status agreement, uh, blah, 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 September 21, 1997, amended, no, periodically. Now, going down, who does, what does the New Mexico state plan, meaning you have a New Mexico state OSHA, applies to private sector workplaces in the state, with the exception of maritime, contract workers, and contract operated facilities with the USPS, United States Postal Service, Exception of uh, occupational safety and health centers at all private sector establishments on military facilities, right? I'm not reading every line here. Enforcement of uh, occupational safety and health standards to the extent permitted by applicable law over tribal or private sector employment within an Indian reservation. Enforcement of occupational safety and health standards with regard to U.S. Department of Energy. Uh, certain things, and all working conditions of an aircraft cabin crew member on board an aircraft in operation. So those are the exceptions. The New Mexico state plan also applies to state and local government employers. It does not apply to federal government employers, including UPS. Right? Uh, here you go. All right. Going down. State plan standards. New Mexico OSHA has adopted all, right? And as a mentor of mine stated, Jimmy, be very careful with that word. But if you say all, mean all. Otherwise, don't use it. It causes too many problems. However, here, New Mexico has said, New Mexico OSHA has adopted all OSHA standards incorporated by reference that relate to state and local government and private sector employer operations. Therefore, the state and federal standards are identical. In addition, New Mexico OSHA has adopted the following unique standards. They have one on firefighting, workplace violence and convenience stores, HASCOM, uh, and construction in HASCOM, agriculture. They have a couple of things going on and on and on. All right. Now, that is the back regulatory background, right? General duty clause applies. Number one, New Mexico, same as uh, uh, federal OSHA and their standards. All right, and that could be a good or bad thing.
All right. Here is uh, the story from Rust First Assistant, Assistant Director David Hall's sentence in deadly on-scene shooting. This is from ABC News. First Assistant Director for Rust has been sentenced to six months unsupervised probation as part of a plea deal in connection with the fatal onset shooting of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. David Hall, 63, was charged with negligent use of a deadly weapon in connection with the October 2021 shooting of the Sound of Santa Fe set of the Western. Hall's had handed, uh, allegedly, again, this is all being litigated here, guys. So everything here is legit, uh, allegedly, everyone's innocent until proven guilty, and everything else. Hall's had handed a Colt 45 revolver to Alec Baldwin that fired while the actor was practicing a cross-draw striking Hutchins. Attorneys for Halls and Baldwin have said neither knew that there were any live rounds in there. And they this was a misdemeanor charge and everything else. Now this is from the LA Times, Los Angeles Times. Yesterday. I'm sorry, from October 26th. Alec Baldwin, as we previously said about five minutes ago, was an actor and he was a producer. And LA Times, to their credit, said, what does that really mean back on October 26, 2021? It can mean a lot of different things. That's the whole gist of the uh, article here. It can mean... Everything from inception, development, financing, and production, all the way to after its premiere and release. Uh, my understanding, based on what I've heard, I mean, I learned a lot over the last year with this whole actor's strike. Often people get named as producers because of residuals. So I don't know exactly what his role was, but I believe that this might have something to do with the charges filed against him. My opinion, I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on the internet, but I'm a, you know, I know how to read an accident report. This was a press release from, this was uh, SAG-AFTRA. This is out of variety, but let's go right directly to uh, the SAG-AFTRA release here. So this uh, SAG-AFTRA, that is the union that represents actors, right? And this is from January 25th, 2024, yesterday. And they've gotten a lot of criticism from this, from uh, the Hutchins family. SAG-AFTRA released the following statement regarding new charges in the Rust tragedy. To the extent that the charges filed on January 19th are based on an accusation of negligent use of a firearm, Predicated on this or any actor having a duty to inspect the firearm as part of its use, that is an incorrect assessment of the actual duties of an actor on set. An actor's job is not to be a firearms or weapons expert. Firearms are provided for use on set under the guidance of multiple expert professionals directly responsible for the safe and accurate operation of that firearm. The industry standards for safety with, with fire. Now, industry standards. They didn't say OSHA standards. They said industry standards. 
Right? So keep that in mind because we talked about the general duty clause. The industry standards for safety with firearms and the use and use of blank ammunition are clearly laid out in Safety Bulletin 1 provided by the Joint Industry-Wide Labor Management Safety Commission. The guidelines require an experienced, qualified armorer to be put in charge of all handling, use, and safekeeping of firearms on the set. These duties include inspecting the firearm and barrel before and after every firing sequence and checking all firearms before each use. The guidelines do not make it the performer's responsibility to check any firearm. Performers trained to perform, and they are not required or expected to be experts on guns or experience in their use. <clears throat> Pardon me. The industry assigns that responsibility to qualified professionals who oversee their use and handling in every aspect. Anyone issued a firearm on set must be given training and guidance in its safe handling and use, but all activity with firearms on a set must be under the careful supervision and control of the professional arborer and the employer. That's their position. And again, they have the interests of the actors in mind. Right? So, here. So, they're, again, their point of view is they're going to protect the actors and everything, which is what their job is. Right? And they realize... If this goes down the wrong way, then every all these actors are going to have to become firearms experts, really, with this, as I see it. Here we have, from People Magazine, Helena Hutchins' family attorney says SAG after his defense of alcohol when flies in the face of common sense. Let's just say that they were not uh, very happy here, to say the least. This is a quote from Gloria Allred. The notion that an actor is not responsible if that actor holds a gun, points it at someone on a movie set and discharges the weapon, flies in the face of common sense and the law. Wow. All right. Um, with that. So, that's where we are. We're going to take a brief commercial break, and we're going to go right into the accident report. In a world where danger lurks in every corner, one man stands as a beacon of hope. Jim Polzel, a veteran safety expert with over three decades of experience, now bringing his knowledge to you with Safety Wars. Engaging, informative, and always relevant, that's Safety Wars. Join a safety revolution with Safety Wars, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy! You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. So, this is a Safety Wars exclusive here. Why? I don't think anybody else is doing this. I haven't seen it out there. So, if you're watching this, you're one of the few, one of the proud... One of the Safety FM listeners and Safety Wars viewers. Now, here we have the summary of the investigation. This is, again, uh, no, I'll, people criticize 
often government reports. And why is that? We have what are called in this country, in the United States, uh, for those of you outside the United States or some of you just may not know, we have what is called a Bill of Rights in the Constitution. One of the, and we have the Fifth Amendment right where you have a right against or right to not self-incriminate yourself and you have a right to an attorney for the Sixth. All right, those are the two rights uh, that are critical out there. And usually where people foul up, and I read a book this week on this, is that they do not assert emphatically, directly, overwhelmingly, either of those rights. Often they do. When they do, the investigators, be it in, uh, detectives, be it regulatory personnel and everything else, especially when they're investigating an accident, Pretty much, uh, they can't really question you after. Yeah, they could, but, you know, they can't be held really against you. right? Uh, some attorneys will say, well, if you don't answer, according to the Supreme Court, you can't. it can be held against you, that sort of thing. So what's the first thing that we learn from, the, from this situation? If you are involved in any situation, make sure you assert your rights. Right with this, likely my opinion. If Mr. Baldwin had asserted his Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights, and I understand he shot, he allegedly shot someone, the gun went off, and everything. I don't know what went on. That's what we're going to read the accident report. We're going to read you now this whole trial, which no doubt we're going to be covering here. Right with all the stuff that's out there. Uh, had he done that, he might not be in this situation, right? Might not, or he might have been in a much better situation. He might not be put on trial. Same thing with uh, the armor, Hannah Gertrude's read. My opinion. So if you are a safety professional involved in a fatality, and then you are an executive there, or someone of some responsibility, you have to think twice about what you're gonna do. I would get an attorney. Me personally, that's what I would do. But, uh, so Jordan, you're listening, right? So we're gonna go through, this is from the state of New Mexico Environmental Department Occupational Safety and Health Bureau, summary of investigation. And this is saying this, the history of the site. Uh, on Friday, October 22nd, this is written from the point of view of the investigator. I attempted to inspect the site, Bonanza Creek Ranch. When I arrived at the site, the three security guards present attempted to contact a representative of Russ by phone to confirm I would be allowed on site. The company representative informed me that I would be allowed entry, but not be allowed to take pictures or conduct interviews until after a warrant was acquired. After being denied the ability to inspect the site by the sheriff's office and company, I left. All right, so the sheriff here, uh, uh, I don't know what the authority of a sheriff is in New Mexico, but it varies from state to state. And I don't know, you know, uh, apparently a uh, uh, state official coming on to a, uh, uh, a crime scene potentially 
managed by the sheriff's office, there may not be, uh, there may be some conflict there, right? If it was a federal OSHA, uh, I think the federal, federal government pretty much has supremacy, my understanding, right? On October 24th, this was a couple of days later, following the sheriff's office releasing the site, Russ granted New Mexico uh, ED, right, that's Rosha, access to inspect the site without a warrant. On, and then they went through a uh, opening conference saying, hey, this is where I'm here. But they did a walk around. Uh, on March 18th, 2022, I conducted a second closing conference with individuals on the site and they've gathered some information. Now, here are the findings. The firearm involved in the accident is a modern replica of a Colt 45 caliber revolver, AKA a long Colt in style. Russ had 13 such revolvers for the production in total from a certain manufacturer. In film, firearms are typically controlled by the props department with the individual responsible for handling the firearms and ammunition titled an armorer or weapons handler. The armorer for this film was Hannah Gutierrez Reed and her immediate supervisor, Sarah Zachary, props master or property master. Nicole Montoya, props assistant, provided support to Zachary and Gutierrez Reed. The Russ props department was small and for, and for administrative purposes was placed under the art department headed by Brian Norvell, who provided support for props who rarely worked with Zachary or Gutierrez Reed. Number nine, Ryan Smith, the producer, was identified as overseeing the overall production. A management representative for Rust was Gabrielle Pickle, a line producer who directly hired individuals and crews, approved work hours worked, and had authority to counsel or discipline employees in any department. Uh, apparently, this individual seemed like the HR person. And we're not going to go down. Also on the management team was David Halls, the first and second assistant director and safety coordinator who was a set manager and responsible for general workplace safety who was the peer in authority to Gabriel Pickle and Ro Walters. Alec Baldwin, actor and producer, and Joel Sousa, director, negotiated with various producers to help create the, and fund the Rust project. Alec Baldwin's authority on the set included improving script changes and actor candidates. Alec Baldwin handled the revolver and fired the ram that struck and injured Helena. Hannah Contreras Reed reported to Sarah Zachary for the direction of da on daily tasks. Right? And this goes through the whole thing. Right? Due to the nature of her position as the sole armorer for Rust, Hannah Contreras Reed regularly corresponded with Gabrielle Pickle directly via text messages and emails. Hannah Contreras Reed performed armorer duties such as demonstrating that a firearm was cold or hot with David Halls. Dave Halls was also responsible for identifying and correcting hazardous conditions related to firearm safety. Now, what does that mean? If you're a safety professional, I'm going to read that over again. Dave Halls was also responsible for identifying and correcting hazardous conditions related to firearm safety. What does that mean? We have another word for that in the safety world. It's called competent person. As armorer, 
Hannah Katara Street was responsible for storage, maintenance, and handling of firearms and ammunition on set, and for training members of the cast who would be handling firearms. In accordance with rust safety procedures and industry-recognized safety practice, the armorer is required to be present whenever, whenever firearms are being handled and should have the authority to determine whether an individual requires additional safety training. However, Rust, and this may be getting her uh, mitigated, her situation mitigated. Rust also required Hannah Gutierrez-Reed to perform the role of props assistant to Zachary, Sarah Zachary, when firearms were not in active use. In an email conversation that occurred on October 10th, Gabriel Pickle informed Hannah Gutierrez-Reed that she was allowed eight paid days at the armorer's rate in her contract to perform armorer tasks, and the rest of her time was to be spent as props assistant. What does that mean? A plain reading of this, right now I'm a plain guy, plain reading of this is that she was told not to do her job. Have you ever been in a situation, going back to our original thing, where your production and safety, and they said, don't worry about safety, worry about production. That is what was said here. Russ ordered ammunition, number 13. The intent to receive blank and dummy rounds. The property master stated that Russ did not intend to have live rounds on the set. Live rounds may be distinguishable from dummy rounds by a small hole in the brass cartridge indicating that there is no powder, meaning that you just had a cap on there, right? By missing or by a missing or dimple primer at the bottom of the cartridge, right? So missing or dimple primer or by shaking around and hearing the distinct clatter of BB within, right? Unless a round is removed from a storage box or firearm and inspected, it can be verified as a dummy round. So it just has that uh, uh, primer in there, and that primer is either missing or damaged. Right? So you have, so you have the bullet casing, you have the primer, you have the powder, you may have a wad, but on this case, I don't believe that there is a wad on this 45 uh, Colt. And then you have the bullet part. So, uh, now whatever it is, that was one of the critical areas, according to the report, where this was at, where, where we had. On October 14th, 2021, Gabriel Pickle emailed Hannah Kinteresreed addressing the armor and key assistant prop duties, stating, It has been brought to my attention that you are focusing far more on armor, not supporting the props as needed. In the same email, Ms. Pickle informed Ms. Kinteresreed that the production and AD team have seen twice that there was a shotgun left unattended after a scene. Ms. Pickle went on to say that she needed some type of check-in or out system put in place immediately. So on the hierarchy of controls, right, you have to eliminate a hazard, you have to uh, substitute a, uh, a less hazardous thing, right, right, substitute the more hazardous thing with the less hazardous thing. You have to have some type of engineering control, an administrative control, and PPE. The least desirable things that you can have are administrative controls of PPE. That's personal protective equipment. Why? Because people will not follow rules. So here we have in writing that in this email that you should rely on the two most 
right? And the one of the most least reliable ways of solving this issue, which is administrative controls. The correct control would have been uh, something else. Don't have live ammunition. Have somebody, one person responsible for that uh, equipment, not divide things up. There should have been a lot of things that we could do. I know that is post-accident and counterfactual. That's what should have happened. That's what didn't happen. It's not usable, not, not uh, useful in coming up with a solution. But I wanted to throw that in there. Right? Uh, now, on October 16, 2021, that's my birthday in 2021, there were two firearm misfires on the rust set. The first instance, Sarah Zachary inadvertently fired a blank round as she finished loading a 45 caliber revolver that was aimed at the ground. To return the hammer to the closed position, make the firearm safe, the operator must hold the hammer and depress the trigger, guiding the hammer to the closed position deliberately. In the case of the first misfire, the hammer slipped from Miss Zachary's thumb or fingers, likely resulting in the firing pin on the hammer striking the primer, which ignited the powder, firing a, the blank round. Right? So this blank round you had, you had powder in the blank round primer, right? With that, right? The primer ignited the powder, firing the blank round with that. All right. Now, the 45 Colt is a single action revolver, meaning you had to pull the hammer back and pull the trigger. Single action, right? The second, you and I'm gonna add, according to the firearms people that I've known, they've said a single action is actually probably one of the more safer guns to have. The second misfire on October 16 involved someone else, a stunt double for Alec Baldwin, and a lever action revival rifle of unknown make and model. It's not known how the misfire happened, as according to some statements, he was alone, quote, in the cabin, and others say that he was not alone. Hannah Gutierrez stated that, that the person's only comment was, quote, it just went off. Hannah Gutierrez uh, described that it is probable the fi rifle fired by being placed onto the ground too roughly. Okay, I don't know how you come to that conclusion, but okay. On October 17th, Hannah Gutierrez Reed sent a text message to Gabriel Pickles saying, Hey, we're on day eight of Armor Days. So if there is a gunfire after this, you may want to talk to the producers. Miss Pickle replied the same day that there would be no more training days. Miss Gutierrez Reed then asked to clarify, Training days? Miss Pickle said, responded, Like training Alec and such. Oh! Now the plot thickens. Now my question is this. Has Alec Baldwin been in other movies where there were firearms? Come on. Do I gotta bring up the IMDB database here? The answer is probably, and they were not independent uh, things. They were done by studios and everything else. I imagine that they did what they were supposed to do. So my question is this, well, as an investigator, right? Maybe the attorneys would ask this. What do they do on other sites where you may not have been in charge and you were handling firearms? And were they not doing this stuff either? Because if they were not doing this stuff either, what do we have? We have a systemic issue throughout the whole industry and people not obeying rules, number one. If they were doing this, doing that, and we're not doing it, why weren't you doing it here? 
That's a question for an investigator. Number 18. Right, two good questions. On October 20, 2021, Lane Looper resigned, citing safety concerns among other issues, and stated in an email, during the filming of gunfights on this job, things are often played very fast and loose. So far, there have been two accidental weapons discharges, a one accidental special effects explosive that have gone off around the crew between takes. To be clean, there, there are no safety meetings these days. There have been no explanations as to what to expect for these shots. So they were supposed to have safety meetings, remember that. But they had no safety meetings. On October 21st, 2021, David Halls handled, handed the 45 caliber Colt revolver loaded with what he assumed were dummy rounds to Alec Baldwin. Mr. Baldwin aimed the revolver toward Helena Hutchins and Joel Souza, and a projectile was fired, striking Miss Hutchins and Miss Souza. As a, right? And that's what happened. Now, this is from the conclusion section here. As a result of the inspection, OHSB determined that Russ was responsible for a serious violation of the New Mexico Occupational Health and Safety Act. While no specific state or federal OSHA standards exist for firearms used in the film industry, it is clear both the employer and the film industry recognize the hazard associated with the use of firearms on movie sets and the potential for serious injury for employers. Now let's go back here. General duty clause, right? The uh, uh, employer failed to keep the workplace free of a hazard, right? The hazard was recognized. The hazard was causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm. So right off the bat, you have three elements for a general duty clause case here. Pardon me, I'm was outside all day. I'm a little bit dried out, so I'm drinking a lot of iced tea. No alcohol. No Red Bull. Nothing like that. Right? We're in here. Further, Russ right. Uh, further, Russ demonstrated plain indifference to the safety of employees by ignoring recognized hazards inherent to the use of firearms and ammunition by failing to take appropriate corrective or investigative actions. No follow-up on the near misses. After two firearms-related incidents, not sure this fires, and after employees notified management that they did not feel safe with how weapons were being handled on set, Rust failed to follow company safety procedures, which would have prevented the accident from occurring. So now we're up to number four. There was a feasible and useful method to correct the hazard. Rust management did not ensure their own safety procedures taken from film industry safety bulletins issued by the industry-wide Labor Management Safety Committee were followed at the work site. According to the general practices documented by Rust, the following safety bulletins were taken into consideration. Going on and on and on. Bulletin number one, page one. The property master or armorer will work in conjunction with the production's designated safety representative ensuring that the following standards are adhered to. Failure to implement the standard listed in Bulletin 1 were not enforced by Rust managers and or supervisors. 
including but not limited to blah, blah, blah. Now, have you ever been in a situation where they, hey, it's in the plan to do this, or they say, bleep it, we're not going to do it. Have you ever been there? Well, here we have this situation. Bulletin 1, page 1. Live ammunition is never to be used or brought onto any studio lot or stage. Failed to Im implement that. Bulletin number one, page one. And these are all administrative controls, by the way. The least reliable. Before any use of a firearm in rehearsal and or on-camera sequence or off-camera use, right? All persons involved must be thoroughly briefed at an on-site safety meeting, not via Zoom, it has to be on-site, not via video, it has to be on-site, where firearms will be used. The meeting shall include an on-site walkthrough and or dry run with the property master or designated production representative. Right? And anyone uh, that will be using and or handling a firearm. Failure to implement. Employees stated that while safety meetings took place, they were not conducted each day firearms were used on set, and often any mention about firearms was brief and not specific. So how do you do your safety meetings? Are they really general or are they getting specific? What are you doing, right? Has that ever happened to you? Well, this is what happens here. Bulletin number one, page one. No one shall be issued a firearm until he or she is trained in safe handling, safe use, the safety lock, and proper firing procedures. If there are any questions as to the competency of the person who will use the firearm, the property master shall determine if additional training is required. Okay, so for SAG-AFTRA to say no training was done, right? To say eh, the actors are responsible, guess what? No training was done. Who's to make sure that that happens? Maybe the producer, maybe not, I don't know. But again, you have to do your due diligence if you're the producer here, I would think. Maybe that has something to do with the charges. I don't know. Again, Hannah Katerus Reed did not uh, had concerns over this. Failure to implement. Gabriel Pickle entrusted instructed Hannah Katerus Reed on October 17th that no more trading days would take place, like training Alec and such. Rust management did not provide the armorer with the authority to determine if additional training was required in violation of rust safety procedures. So hold on. She did not, was not a competent person here under OSHA definitions and legal definitions of a competent person. She did not have the authority. So with competent persons, you have to have the ability to assess and you have to have the authority to correct. She did not have the authority to correct, therefore she was not the competent person. Therefore, why is she on trial? My question. Bulletin 1, page 1. Additionally, this bulletin should be attached to the call sheet each day firearms will be used. Okay, was it attached? I don't know, let's see. During OHSD's interview of Dave Halls, he referred to the safety bulletins between the unions, between the Screen Actors Guild, on IATSE, I'm not sure what that is, which represents the Technicians and the Directors Guild of America. There are what we call safety memos, you know, that describe the protocols. 
When at, you know it's from them, right? When asked if the safety memos were always attached to call sheets, all responded, no, they were not on our call sheets. Hmm. Well, I don't know. This is why there's a trial here, maybe. No, no, didn't know. Right? Bulletin number one. They should never lay down a firearm or leave it unattended unless actively filming or rehearsing all firearms should be safely secured. Failure to implement. After instructing Hannah Katerus Reed to focus more on her props, assistant duties, and less on armor responsibilities, Gabriel Pickle then informed Hannah Katerus Reed that production and AD team have seen twice there was a shotgun left unattended after a scene. We need all weapons to be in your control anytime they are used. Hannah Katerus Reed explained conducting her armor duties and props assistant duties created a gap wherein actors or stuntmen can put down a firearm, and step away, leaving it unattended. Hannah informed Gabrielle it would slow production down terribly if we had to shut, check them back in between scenes, and when I am forced to do both, that's when mistakes get made, like the shotgun being unattended. Gabrielle Pickle instructed Hannah Katara Street to develop a check-in or out system for weapons, but did not follow up to ensure weapons were secured, and ignored Hannah Katara Street's concerns about not being provided adequate time to perform armorer duties. Again, why is Hannah Katerus Reed being charged? My question here. Bulletin 1, and I think she's going to be acquitted. However, let this be a lesson to you safety professionals out there. Right? This is why this is important. You, do you see the kind of groove, though, you can get yourself into? Especially here in New Mexico, they're, you know, they're breaking this out. Other states like New York State, they would do probably the same thing. Because if you're the confident person, you're the safety professional, you don't do your job. You're the producer, you don't do your job. Guess what? You got a problem if something happens like this. Let alone all the pain and suffering you cause. Or the system cause. I don't want anybody to get freak out here, but yeah, okay. This is why it's important to do your job, cover your rear end every way, which way to Sunday here because and because of the situations like this. Bulletin 1, page 2. Refrain from pointing a gun from anyone. So if it's absolutely necessary to do so on camera, consult uh, the property, master and or arbor, or other safety representative, as such as the first AD stage manager, remember that any object at which you point a firearm could be destroyed. Failure to implement. Lane Lufer stated that many camera shots had the firearms pointed and firing at the camera. Helena Hutchins and Joel Souza were injured when a firearm was pointed in their direction, with Hutchins' injury resulting in death. Russian management representative Dave Hulse was present prior to and at the time of the firearm discharge, a live round, severely injuring two crew members. As Russ's top-level management safety official, Mr. Hulse did not consult with the property master or armorer during or after the firearm was loaded, handed uh, to the actor and pointed toward crew members in order to determine that pointing the firearm at persons was absolutely necessary. Bulletin, right? So again, right here in the report, first AD was responsible, wasn't president, all this stuff. 
Allegedly, he was sitting there watching this. That's what I've read. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if this report from uh, New Mexico, uh, uh, the, uh, the government is accurate. I believe it is, but I don't know. Well, I have no way of knowing this. I'm just reading a report. Helena Hutchins and Joel Souza were shot. The firearm was loaded and handed to Alec Baldwin during an informal rehearsal. So this wasn't even, and this might be one of the problems. It was an informal rehearsal. And prior to filming the scene involving the firearm, Russ did not provide staff responsible for ensuring firearm safety with sufficient time to inspect the ammunition. The first misfire, right, uh, blah, 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 uh, presented, a ha presented a hazard to Sarah and Zachary and any employees nearby. Rust failed to address the hazardous condition and reinforce adherence with their own protocols to protect workers. Rust management, including Gabrielle Pickle and Roe Walters, ignored concerns of firearm misfires on set, according to statements taken by OHSB. Dave Hulse, the safety coordinator, was present on set when the first accidental discharge occurred. Mr. Hulse did not discuss the incident with staff, report the incident to Russ producers, so Alec Baldwin might not have known about this. Again, this is why we have a trial and investigation. Review the incident as safety coordinator, ensure Sarah and Zachary took appropriate actions for respect to safety protocols or take any other corrective measures. According to employees interviewed, including, uh, including Hannah Katerris Reed, crew members verbally expressed their surprise and discovered Russ Management's lack of action regarding the worksite safety issue. Rust initiated number 25. We're almost done here, folks. Uh, and again, uh, let me see how much time we have because we're probably going to be running out of time on the radio end. Here. Okay. Russ initiated a new investigation and action for their second firearm misfire on October 16th, 2021. Beyond Hannah Contreras Street acting Blake's uh, Texera, how it happened. Dave Halls is present during the incident, did not speak with either Hannah or Blake. Lane Lufer, first assistant camera, texted Roe Walters informing her we've now had three accidental discharges. This is super unsafe. The third discharge involved a special effects popper. Roe Walters responded, accidental discharge on the firearms. Lufer responded, yeah, two discharges today and one on week one. Roe Walters did not ask any additional questions to try to understand what occurred. Again, this is along the lines of, my name is Muffin, I don't know nothing, maybe if I ignore this, this will go away. That's what it sounds like. Russ recognized the hazards associated with firearms and adopted safety bulletins that were designed to control and mitigate these hazards. Russ described these protocols as being enforced by the first assistant director, who is the safety coordinator. Ryan Smith, producer, also stated during the closing conference and all members of the cast and crew have stopped work authority. Yeah, we heard that before. Despite this, no corrective investigative or disciplinary action was taken after first or second firearms misfires by any member of management. Dave Halls, right? Now, OSHA likes discipline. That may not have been the appropriate thing in this case. I'll give him that much, right? Uh, again, 
no investigation and everything else. When the unit production manager, Roe Walter, was informed by the process master and the first assistant camera that weapons misfires had occurred, Walters did not initiate any corrective investigative or disciplinary action in accordance with rust safety procedures. Okay, I'm going to put on our outro here. And we're going to continue with this. Uh, pick us up on the podcast and on the live stream on Safety Wars. There's a disclaimer here. JCP Technical Services is not responsible for the use, misuse, misrepresentation, or for any injuries, illnesses, or environmental releases relating to this presentation or movie or training session. The material was generated using open source and available information at the time of its presentation. All users should consult a qualified safety professional for assessment of their particular situation and obey applicable laws. This user's sole responsibility to assess their needs and determine what laws and standards apply to them. User discretion is always advised. And we are continuing our coverage of the Rust Productions incident from October 21st, uh, 2021. And we are just going through the uh, report here in case you're coming to us uh, from the uh, safetyfm.com, which is a one hour show. We're starting with our second hour of Safety Wars special presentation here. All right, I hope everybody has moved on over from the other area. And let's continue here. We're on item number 27, page 10 of 11. And this is an uh, issue from the state of New Mexico Environmental Department Occupational Safety and Health Bureau. And again, I am just going by what the report says and my commentary. I have no way of knowing whether this is true, not true, accurate, inaccurate. As government reports on safety uh, issues and accident investigations go, it could go either way. So I'm not warranting this. All right, when the first assistant camera resigned, Informing management that there was an ongoing lack of firearm safe practices, among other labor issues, and that misfires had occurred, right? And we talked about earlier this week about leading indicators. Having other labor issues where they're not paying you right, good leading indicator of not following OSHA regulations, in my experience. 
right? Rust management took no action review and or addressed worker safety concerns. When the armorer had used most of their contractually limited armorer days, they were issued a written instruction to focus less on the armorer as spend more time assisting the props department. And the armorer expressed the need to ensure actors be able to safely handle a firearm with a holster, they were told by the line producer that the armorer would be informed if that was necessary. When the armorer was scheduled to train the stunt crew on firearm safety, she was told that someone else, the stunt coordinator, would handle that instead. The employer Rust Movie Productions demonstrated plain indifference to the hazards associated with firearms by routinely failing to practice their own safety protocols failing to enforce adherence to safety protocols, and failing to ensure that the handling of deadly weapons was all afforded time and effort needed to keep the cast and crew safe. Additionally, the employer disregarded or otherwise did not follow up, ask questions, or tried to understand what happened when employees notified management about the misfire incidents and not feeling safe on set. The safety coordinator was present on set and took no direct action to address safety concerns. Management was provided multiple opportunities to take corrective actions and chose not to do so. As a result of these failures, director Joel Souza and cinematographer Helena Hutchins were severely injured. Helena Hutchins succumbed to her injuries on October 21st, 2021. May she rest in peace and may her family get some peace in their life after this. Right? 29. Based on the above findings, I rec recommend a willful series citations with penalties be issued to Rust Movie Productions LLC, citing the plain indifference to the recognized hazard associated with the use of firearms on set to which their employees were exposed. Well, wow. So that was 102 minutes going here, right? So I have not been able to find like what the uh, uh, what the uh, citations were, and I'm going to give it one last thing. Okay, here we go. This is from the Hollywood Reporter. I'm not seeing one from. An official source here, so we're going to go from to the Hollywood Reporter. Rust producer settled citation from the new, and this is a report from February 24, 2023, article by Winston Cho in the Hollywood Reporter. Rust producer settled citation from New Mexico Safety Agency for a hundred thousand dollars. All right, under the deal, the citation was. Is downgraded from a willful serious to violation to a serious violation. So again, all this stuff ends up you now being litigated and negotiated and everything else. Uh, they were allegedly uh, right uh, issued a proposed citation of 136,793. And uh, blah, 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 going on. And they relocated, gotta love this, they relocated the shooting location to Montana. All right, now, why is that? Because maybe they want to get away from New Mexico into Montana. Because they don't get a, get, want to get whacked 
with a corrective action here that wasn't followed up on. And then you get a repeat violation, and they come back with a whole bunch of repeat violation things. That's my thinking. I don't know that to be true, but that's probably what most companies have they would handle it. Is to move it. Because now, by coincidence, they can't be followed up on repeat violations. Now, this is what I need you to do. I need you to take this, whatever we're calling it, it's going to be posted at several places. I need you to share it with your staff. I need you to go wherever you find this, like and share it with everybody. If you're in the safety industry, I just did a, pr a presentation for you just now. You can use this. As long as you attribute it to me and you play my whole video here, right? You want me to go and manage your situation, give us a call, 845-269-5772. You want to interview me with this? You're in the media, 845-269-5772. Uh, Jim at safetywords.com. I want to thank everybody for going through this here. And let me uh, just point out some stuff with this. All right, we are... Uh, practitioners here at Safety Wars and uh, on, on a lot of Safety FM, right, of human and organizational performance. I'm going to share with you a brief thing here. So here we have five principles, and this is actually really critical here with this. And this is a much better way of handling health and safety rather than an adversarial system. I find that in the major accidents and fatalities that I've investigated with, the safety culture, unless it was some type of move no happen situation, safety culture is very adversarial. So it's our thing here when we're fighting that safety war out there, right? And this is. I've run into these situations without these consequences, but I've run into these situations as we described here. It's not unique to Rust Productions here with the with how things are managed prior to the accident. Hopefully they learn and things are done differently now. But now we have a situation, right, where what do we do from this? The successful organizations that I've worked with that have gotten gone through this have created a culture, and it takes a long time, three to five years, of creating a culture where safety could flourish, where excellence flourishes, rather than command and control and making demands and being adversarial and mean and everything else. So, five principles. We have human error is normal. Even the best people make mistakes. If you realize that human error is normal, right, then maybe you could give someone a break with something. Understand, hey, how do we minimize human error? Define a system and define a system, create a system, design a system to make things, make human error less likely. But realize that human error is going to happen every once in a while. Blame fixes nothing. Do you think they're going out and blaming anybody involved here? Hey, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Shame on you. Eh. 
You think that fixes anything? Flame fixes nothing. Let's go in there and try to fix things. And plus, you get into the shame, blame, and retrain situation. Doesn't work. Learning and improving are vital. This is why you have investigations. We don't even call them investigations anymore. We can say, we're going to set up a learning team. Right? Context influences behavior. What is the context of this? Why do people do what they do? Why did it seem the correct thing to do? That would be another question to ask investigators. Why, uh, my investigator. Why was this okay? Maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't. It wasn't in the reports released to the public. Maybe it'll come out in the trial. And how you respond to failure matters. We mentioned freaking out. I, I would find a hard time, have a hard time not freaking out if I was involved in a situation like this. However, I give these motivational things right prior to, uh, no, often in my introduction here. And what are, what's one of those things that I say, right? Is this, you will continue to suffer if you have an emotional reaction to everything that is said to you. True power is sitting back and observing things with logic. True power is restraint. If words control you, that means everyone else can control you. Breathe and allow things to pass. It's an anonymous quote, but it's usually attributed to Warren Buffett. Now, I understand you're in an emotional state. You're freaking out. You're trying to, part of human nature is to talk, to try to justify things, to try to talk things out. It's a response to trauma often. What you need to do is resist. Resist that temptation. Sit back, take a deep breath, get yourself a drink. Right? Non-alcoholic, preferably. Extricate yourself from that situation. Remember your Fifth and Sixth Amendment protections. The right not to self-incriminate yourself and the right to an attorney. We might be looking at a totally different thing had they done this here. I don't know, I'm not an attorney. But that's what my instructions are with this stuff. So it comes down to this. What are you going to do if something like this happens with your workplace? Often I get phone calls, Jimmy, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, okay, who is so-and-so? Well, I have this problem, OSHA showed up. I had this problem, this showed up. OSHA showed up, I said all the messages. I said, well, you got yourself into a little bit of a pickle, maybe. Let's try to figure this out. All this stuff goes in there. Often what I'm told by attorneys in these situations is if I get a phone call like this, I bring this over to an attorney and the attorney hires me 
Now everything's under attorney-client privilege. That's a way of handling it. Because everything goes from me to the attorney, the attorney to the client, the client to the attorney, the attorney to me. That mitigates a lot of stuff here. Because my no, all of my stuff is open for discovery unless it's protected by the attorney-client privilege. And it has to normally be, depending on the laws of your state, uh, my understanding is a third-party attorney, outside, out what they also call an outside attorney. All this stuff. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to go and uh, share this movie far and wide here. And... Have a great weekend. I'm probably going to be uh, on tomorrow uh, in some fashion. We're going to edit this a little bit, make this a little bit smoother, and post this separately and share it to everybody all over again. So for Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. Have a great weekend. If I don't see you, if I do see you, I'll see you. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.